0: a bookish home. I'm your host, librarian and writer Laura Zaro-Kinsky, and today I'm speaking with Jenica Cohen about her new young adult novel My Fine Fellow, which is a retelling of My Fair Lady set in 1830s London. I love this book and I agree with author Stacey Lee, who called it a fun dish of a novel with a healthy sprinkle of feminism. My Fine Fellow is as fresh as the rain in Spain. Jenica Cohen is a Filipina-American author of young adult historical fiction. Her debut novel, Dangerous Alliance, was a junior library guild selection and has been translated into multiple languages. Jenica studied English history at Cambridge University and has a master's degree in professional writing from the University of Southern California. California. Jenica, welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm really excited to hear more about my fine fellow. I just adored this book. Thanks so much, Laura. I'm so
1: happy to be here with you.
0: Thank you. Um, well, it's such a great idea for a novel and, um, it was sort of a, just like a comforting read to dive into, um, a great escape. And I'm curious what drew you to this story and kind of creating this twist on it. And, you know, were you a big fan of My Fair Lady and, and musicals growing up? Is that worth?
1: Yeah, definitely. I was, um, I've been a big fan of musicals since I was a very little child. And um, I think I started out with the Rodgers and Hammerstein um, musicals, the movies. My parents just kind of plopped me in front of the TV. And I was always one who loved movies anyway, so mm-hmm. it worked out. But um, and then, yeah, and then I started acting in like little Child productions of theater musicals. When I was probably, I think I was as young as like eight years old or something. My first musical, which was Oklahoma, and then um, yeah, and then my parents always loved musicals as well, and so we would go on family trips and they'd have their cassette tapes of their favorite shows <laughs> and uh, playing in the car, and uh, yeah. So My Fair Lady was one of those that I always loved the music too. And then um, as I got older, I really, I got into it more as a whole show, even though I, I always, I love the show, but, you know, I got more into it as I got older. And then, um, yeah, and then I think I was watching the movie one day and I just thought, wow, this is such a great movie, you know, for the hundredth time that I've seen it. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought you know, has anybody made this into or done, done a retelling of this? And I went looking to see if anyone had, I couldn't find anything. And I decided maybe I should write it.
0: <laughs> I love that. And, and the rest is history. Um, well, I really, I think it's such an interesting blend of sort of immersing us in the historical time period, but also you've sort of um, taking some interesting liberties with um, who who's reigning and um, <laughs> sort of what the culture is like at the time. Could you talk about that and kind of the world these characters are in?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I decided to set it in a sort of alternate timeline, uh, 1830s, which um, in our time, ta- you know, in our history, is the reign of Queen Victoria and in England. And I decided to kind of turn that on its head. I wanted to have a society where girls were able to hold professions and uh, people of, you know, girls of the upper and middle classes were able to hold professions, which they were not allowed to do in Victorian times. And, um, you know, and then have girls be, sort of like self-actualized and not be oppressed as much as they were during the Victorian era. So I decided uh, to change the timeline and make uh, Princess Charlotte, who was the daughter of King George IV, um, make her live. Uh, She actually died in childbirth uh, quite young, and so I decided like if she had not died, what would have happened? And that's sort of how this... uh, This my my sort of, you know, imagined world of what England would have been like under Queen Charlotte is kind of what I decided to do with the book.
0: Yeah, it's such a fun world uh, to get to be in. Well, can you, for um, listeners who haven't gotten to read it yet, can you tell us a little bit about the characters and um, maybe for people who aren't, you know, familiar with the original, kind of how they relate to the original musical?
1: Sure. So... In the original uh Henry Higgins uh, is a teacher of linguistics and uh, a professor and he teaches this uh, sort of downtrodden young woman named Eliza Doolittle to become uh to speak better basically and in doing so she become she is able to kind of raise herself in society and be um yeah, not have to sell flowers on the street anymore. She's able to uh, be a lady. Uh, so in my story, I the characters I switched uh, the genders. So the two main characters are Helena Higgins and Penelope Pickering, uh, who is an analog for Colonel Pickering, who's kind of <laughs> kind of acts as a sidekick to Henry Higgins in the original. And um, and then my uh, the boy that they teach to become a gentleman chef is, uh, Elijah Little in my story. Um, so, so yeah, so it turns out, so it's the girls teaching him to be this great chef for, uh, so that he can raise himself in society and, um, yeah. And the girls find, think that they are experts in food and in society, particularly Helena. And so they kind of, they learn some, they all learn some stuff along the way.
0: I love the whole world of the culinarians that you um create and it's such a fun sort of method for him to be improving himself. I like I like that you chose that it was
1: fun to read about. Are you a big foodie? Is that sort of what made you pick that? <laughs> I once thought I was going to go to culinary school actually, so I kind of I've always been into cooking just as I've always been into musicals and um baking as well. And so I thought what a fun thing, you know, like, I basically wanted to put all kind of, like, things that I loved in this novel, (laughs) sort of, (laughs) and uh, uh, so, yeah, so the girls, you know, are culinarians, which is a profession I made up, but um, one that I think, you know, is plausible, and they, um, yeah, so they, these girls, like, they teach him all these things that would, that a fellow who's on the street hawking his uh, empanadas and stuff would not necessarily know how to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: you know, I'm always interested in how um, authors do their research. So I know you were also kind of, I'm sure it was tricky because you were also creating this separate world, but um, you know, what helped you kind of transport readers back in time? And then also, you um, you know, were you really familiar? um, I know you went to Cambridge, but were you really familiar with London? And it just seems to really um, kind of transport us to England. So how how did you go about doing
1: all that? Yeah, um, I am a bit of an Anglophile. My first novel uh, is also set in mostly in London. uh, And and also for this time period, I happened to, you know, have done quite a bit of research for my first novel, Dangerous Alliance. And so um, I was able to use a lot of the research I had done before into building this world um, for my fine fellow. And also, I mean, I had, uh, you know, being an Anglophile, I've been able, luckily been able to travel to England quite a bit. And I also went to Cambridge for a stint and, um so I've spent quite a bit of time in London, in and around London. And so yeah, so this particular with this particular book, I wanted to um, show off that particular part of London, uh, which is sort of the last place, the last time I was able to go to England, um, I was able to stay in that neighborhood. And so, uh, again, it was I wasn't really able, you know, because this book was written pretty much entirely during the pandemic, I wasn't able to travel there again, and so I had to kind of use some of the research I had done previously, um, which was fun, of course, and, you know, nostalgic for me, uh, and then, sorry, I'm trying to remember the rest, the other part of your question.
0: <laughs> oh, um, the, well, just,
1: well, you answered it a little bit with...
0: Um sort of the history side, because uh, you'd already done some of the research with Dangerous Alliance, but I guess I'm just curious to, um, like, going back to that, like, what were some of your most helpful, um, was it, you know, reading letters of the time, or certain books, or interviewing people, kind of what was most helpful for you as a writer?
1: Yeah, uh, I was able to do, yeah, I delved into primary sources, some of the how people lived at the time, obviously. Um, I can't, like, I don't have, like, I don't have all of them at the top of my head, honestly, but, uh, it, you know, it was a lot of those, like, like you say, letters, firsthand accounts. And then of course, um, uh, when the first endangered Alliance, I deal a lot with, uh, mar- the marriage and divorce laws, which is not a, a part of history that a lot of people have delved into. And so I was able to do, uh, Quite a bit of research into that, um, and then for my fine fellow, um, the one thing that I that I didn't reuse from Dangerous Alliance was um, how Jews of the time were treated, because uh, in the book Elijah is Jewish, and I wanted to be very authentic, as authentic as possible, to that experience. Um, in this time period because I, again it's a thing that's not a lot, that is not spoken about that often um or covered in novels and uh so yeah I did a lot of research into what life was like um for people like him what well, that made it
0: so interesting and you know it just makes me wonder too I feel like I mean I'm curious if you'll go back to this world at all but um it sort of makes you think a lot about like what might have been if uh, that era had come to pass, like particularly for women, it's sort of interesting. Do do you think you'll, I mean, I know the musical sort of standalone, but do you think you'll go back to that world at all? Or are you kind of, I would love to,
1: I I don't have plans to, but I would love to, I think um, it was really fun for me to create this world where the, you know, where women had opportunities and, um, and then I created two other professions that I didn't get to cover really too much in this novel, which were, um, one of them was a professional league of a- women athletes who went around the country doing, um, croquet in water in, in bar in like specially designed fountains, basically, <laughs> which I thought was some, would be fun, but also kind of ridiculous at the same time. And then, um, what was the other profession I created? Oh, oh, women who, uh, basically design carriages um sort of like the the ergonomists of their time (laughs) so they design carriages for comfort and luxury and so there's things that pop out of the floor like little tables and you know footstools and stuff like that so um again yeah something i made up was something i thought would be really fun if it
0: existed I love that, and I definitely had to several times Google was this a real thing <laughs> like, <laughs> it was very convincing um, well, you know, I was kind of curious too as um in terms of your writing process um, you know I, did anything really significantly um, change from your first draft, or um, does anything really stand out as um being kind of a a particular challenge in the writing process that you think back on?
1: Okay, yeah, I think one of the more, the things that surprised me uh, was that Helena was much harder to get, it was much harder for me to get into Helena's head than I expected it would be. Um, When I first started writing the novel, I I had not written a character like her before, where someone who's um, thinks her opinion is correct all the time and is constantly telling people what she thinks and just believing it basically. Um, so at, you know, when I first started writing the novel, I thought, Oh, this is going to be fun. It's going to be a big like departure for me. Um, and as I went on in the novel, it became more and more apparent to me that I had like, very little desire to be in her head. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so uh, I avoided her point of view for the first draft. Um, I There were certain scenes that I knew had to be in her point of view, but I would basically... I would shy away from what was going on in her head, what her motivations were, uh, or, you know, it was very... It felt very surface level, I think, on a in retrospect. And so then when I went back um my editor had you know one of her comments was you know can we get a bit deeper into Helena's point of view and I I was still in that mode of resisting getting into her head (laughs) but um but you know I went back and I made it happen because I I know that people like that have their motivations as well obviously and they need you know I I wanted it to be clear that she wasn't just some monster or someone who uh really never thinks of others you know there had to be some line there that that even she would not cross um
0: yeah yeah it makes her um very very real um well you know that kind of gets to one of my other questions so when you are kind of in the thick of your writing process or revision I know you're sort of in like the promotional phase right now with um the book out but what's your kind of writing schedule um or routine like when you are like really in the thick
1: of a novel so I don't think I have a set routine yet I it is well I will just say it was very different with this novel than it was for Dangerous Alliance um but for this one Because of the pandemic, I had to come up with different strategies than I would have. Um, Because normally I would go sit at a coffee shop and write for most of the afternoon into the evening. Um, And, but yeah, I wasn't able to do that with this one. So I had to figure out where I could, it was sort of, you know, going in different spots around the house, trying to figure out where I could, where I wouldn't be distracted. And then, Eventually, when the weather got nice, I was able to sit outside and um, I started handwriting the, actually, I ended up handwriting the majority of this book because it felt like the only way to turn off all the distractions was just to have a padded paper and a pen and, you know, know where I, what scene I needed to write, but... But do it, you know, basically do it without any electronic aids, because I was just trying not to be distracted, and actually get this book done. So, so yeah, but my general routine, I would say is I write in the afternoon. And again, like until about dinner time, and then I'll go eat dinner. And then if I have to come back and do some more, I will. Um, But yeah, but that's basically when you're on deadline, you kind of have to just do it, whatever you can do
0: interesting you say that about handwriting I'm remembering listening um, I remember listening to an interview with Jasmine Guillory talking about how she was having such a hard time writing during the pandemic and eventually Mm -hmm. had to switch to just writing longhand it was like the only way she could like get a new story out but something there along with just with things being so stressful just being away from your electronics
1: um, yeah yeah I, I mean, that's, that's it. interesting that she had to had that too, had that problem too. Cause yeah. <laughs> you know, it was definitely one of those times where I, I certainly didn't feel like writing, but I knew I had to get it done. And so yeah, I had to come up with whatever, whatever strategy I could.
0: <laughs> yeah. A hard time to be creative, but um, yeah. now all of us readers get to kind of reap the rewards of everyone who wrote those pandemic <laughs> <laughs> time books. Um. Well, you know, I, um, you know, always love to hear kind of a little bit about um, sort of the writing journey or kind of even the path to, you know, getting an agent or getting published. Did you have any like books in a drawer or did it kind of happen quickly with Dangerous
1: Alliance? How did that come to be? It was a long process for me. I started it was basically 10 years for me from when I started writing, well, from when I finished Dangerous Alliance to when it got to when I got an agent. Um, So, and I don't have, I didn't have a lot of books in drawers. I like, unlike some writers, I literally kept trying to perfect Dangerous Alliance for years. I would Step away from it, and then I'd come back and try, you know, try fixing it again, or try getting more feedback from um, either from, you know, writing groups I was in or something. And um, I'd try to implement that feedback, and I'd go to writing conferences and I'd try to get feedback there. And um, so yeah, it was a really long process. I I was honestly at the point where. I thought I was going to self-publish Dangerous Alliance and then I decided to enter Pitch Wars, which is a contest on um it used to be mostly on Twitter, but now it's it's got its own website and everything. But anyway, Pitch Wars is a is a contest where you sort of where you end up if you get in, you get a mentor who's in the industry. And I ended up getting a mentor who was a who was a, a writer of um Anyway, she's my, she's, she and I are very good friends now. Uh, It turned out very well, but like uh, her name is Toby Easton and she writes, um, she writes great books, but um, so anyway, so she helped me turn Dangerous Alliance into um, or helped me fix it, you know, in the ways that, because I couldn't see what was wrong with it anymore at that point um, after so many years of revisions. And so um, she really helped me quite a bit and then, you know, gave me, more industry advice. And then once Pitch Wars was over, I ended up getting an agent uh, relative, like within a, you know, a handful of months, four or five months, basically, which felt amazing after so many years of trying to get, to get your foot in the door. And then, um, yeah. And then within a few months after we went on submission with dangerous Alliance, she sold it to Harper Collins and, Um, yeah, so it it was, I will say like, I'm glad I didn't give up because, you know, I was finally able to get, get here. Um, but, um, it was a long, long process. And I, I do think perseverance is key in this business. What an
0: amazing story. Um, I feel like, yeah, so many people would just have not put in what it took to you know finally get it to where it had to be to to get it published or it would be sitting in a drawer or did you what do you think kind of helped you um you know because I feel like sometimes the advice would be well okay I guess it's just not publishable um I'm gonna switch to something else or was it Mm -hmm. just you know your kind of conviction that you could get it there or
1: um I guess so I I think I had other ideas. I would start other books and then I would just come back to Dangerous Alliance for some reason. I think, you know, it really was, there was something in that book that made me think it, I want it to be out in the world, you know, and just want it to be as best as I, as get it to be the best that I possibly can. And then, you know, if it's out in the world, if I had to self-publish it, at least it'll be out in the world. But, um, but yeah, I did, I I guess I just there was something in that, that manuscript that compelled me to come back to it. Um, and then, but, you know, I know a lot of people who will set aside the first manuscript they write and then they will work on other things. And I think that's totally healthy too. I don't know that my approach was particularly <laughs> healthy, uh, or, but it worked yeah, out it worked, yeah, for me, yeah, but yeah, 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 it
0: worked out, um, Did you um, celebrate in any special way when, you know, it was eventually published or even when you got your age in?
1: Yeah. Well, I I don't, I keep trying to think if we did anything special. My family and I, you know, love to go out to dinner or at least we, you know, both when it was safe to do so well, you know, like we would go out to dinner and have celebrations, that sort of thing. Um, Those were the days. Yeah. Right. (laughs) We didn't have to worry. Um, But I think, Yeah. I think that's basically what we did, you know, but we did, we definitely celebrated because my family knew how long I'd been trying to work at this goal. And so they were, they've been very supportive and lovely about it. Um, and then when my fine fellow came out a few weeks ago, we had, um, my, yeah, my family put together a a little lunch where we, they, we brought in foods that uh, appear in the book, um, so so that was pretty fun we had empanadas and we had um we had what else did we have we had um gosh pastrami and bagels and
0: (laughs) kind of a mishmash of stuff you need a little spin-off my fine fellow cookbook (laughs) i know i would Um, love that that'd be fun Well, I do think, um, I meant to mention too, if anyone's listening, who's looking for a book club pick, I think it would be so much fun to read the book and watch My Fair Lady. And of course, you know, like have some of the um, some of the food, you could have some of the food during your book club. So um, that would be a lot of fun. That is I such a good book idea. Book. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, I always love to hear what, writers have been reading is there anything that
1: um you've read lately that
0: you'd want to recommend to listeners
1: uh let's see first thing I'll say is uh, a friend of mine her novel is called uh, how not to fall in love and it is a YA contemporary romance about a uh it's actually a Don Quixote very loose retelling of Don Quixote and uh there's, it takes place in the bridal industry and there's, uh, LARPers and anyway, it's really cute. And, uh, I was just, I've read it, uh, I read it, uh, early, but I also, I was just planning to start the audio book because I would love to hear how it gets kind of dramatized. So that's, that's my number one. And then, um, some others that are not necessarily YA I've been, um, been listening to on audible i tend to i tend to do a lot of audiobooks nowadays there's one it's called it's nonfiction. backwards and in heels which is uh by alicia malone who's actually one of the hosts on um turner classic movies um she has a whole it's a whole book about um the women in hollywood and sort of like the important their important Accomplishments because um, usually you hear so much about the men of Hollywood and what they did, but women not so much. So, um, yeah, so I'm getting into that.
0: Well, you know, I now that I have devoured my fine fellow, and I'm sure listeners are going to as well, um, do you know what your next project is?
1: Is that in the works yet? There's nothing I can talk about, unfortunately, um, but I am looking into doing some other genres potentially um so yeah stay tuned <laughs> Ooh,
0: well well at least there's something coming and I have to ask too because as I was reading I was thinking oh this would be such a good movie as well has there been any talk of like an
1: ad- adaptation or anything or I just
0: could like picture it on Netflix it would be so good
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you so much yeah um I can't unfortunately talk about that at the moment Ooh, okay well that gives me some hope
0: um I would just love it, like the food scenes and everything too oh it'd be so much fun I know those,
1: I I agree I think it'd be so much fun
0: all those Bridgerton fans um are really gonna enjoy this one um well um thank you so much for talking with me I hope that um people go pick up my fine fellow. I hope librarians order it from their libraries um it's so much fun and I think um right now we could all use a a fun read and to escape to England and and this world that you've created so thanks for giving us that that little treat
1: oh thank you so much (laughs) I appreciate it
0: for links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode you can visit abookishhome.com and there you'll also find a link to our new online bookshop Um, a bookish home has teamed up with the new organization bookshop.org which supports independent bookstores and if you'd like, you can browse books by authors who have been guests on A Bookish Home. I'm also sharing there all of the books mentioned on the podcast, books I've been reading lately, and other recommendations. It's a really wonderful site to browse and look through books. And if you make a purchase, it supports A Bookish Home and independent bookstores, so it's a win-win. So if you want to check that out directly, it's bookshop.org shop. A Bookish Home, and you'll also find that at abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.